Yes, bigger is not always better. And the smaller a family we have, the more intimate relationship we can have with one another. That we're known and we can, that we can know one another and we can be known, right? We're not lost in a crowd, but our faces are seen and our voices are heard. And so thanks, Matt, for reminding us of that, for the importance of community, deep relational community. We can partner with one another in ministry. We can come alongside of our kids and pray that they see Jesus and, they, and rejoice when they do. Right? Come alongside our teachers, pray with them, and rejoice with them. So let's remember that. Let's pray, and then Will's going to come up and, and talk about community. Father, thank you that we were made, that we were not made and meant to do this life alone. But you have called the people to yourself, a community, a church, to live out among the nations the truth of your gospel, the truth of the story of Jesus Christ. And that together, Father, we can embody you and your spirit. So, Father, I pray that you would speak through Will this morning. May your truth be heard. May your story be known. God, in this small, intimate family, so that we can go out in community with one another to preach the good news, to live it out among the nations, among our communities, among our schools, among our workplaces. God, so that in the last days you would be glorified, that every tribe, every tongue, every nation will recognize that you are the one and true living God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, so, like uh, Anthony mentioned, we're going to be talking about community today. So, if you remember two weeks ago, we uh, kicked off this series talking about being shaped by the true story. And so Chris actually went through the true story with us, the six symbols. So who can, let's go through them real quick. Let's see if we can do it. What's the first, the first symbol or what's the first? Creation, yeah. I was looking at you because I was waiting for you to answer. And what's creation, Steve? Like making things. Making things, I love it. All right, what's the next one? Rebellion, yes, Steve got the X for us, rebellion. What's rebellion? Turning away from God. Yeah, turning away from God, that's right. That is where the beauty of creation was fractured by the sin of human beings turning away from their creator and choosing to look to themselves for truth rather than God. And then what's the next one? Promise, promise. yeah. What's the Promise. Yeah, it, I mean, it starts right in rebellion, right, when God promises the rescuer, but then it goes through almost, like, through the entire rest of the Old Testament, where God says that men have turned away from him, but he's not going to turn his back on humanity, and he's going to bring a rescuer, a redeemer. So that brings us to the next one. What's the next one? Redemption, that's right, redemption, that's Jesus. He came, his life, his death, and his resurrection redeemed creation from the effects of sin. And so then, what's the next one? This one should be easy. Yeah, this side. You're right. We have been a little heavy over here. Somebody from this side. What's the next one? 
yeah, church, that should be easy. That's where we are right now. That's our place in the story. And so we've been, condition, we've been commissioned by the Redeemer to go out. And then finally, what's the last one? Come on, somebody. Restoration. Restoration, there we go. See, I, you know, I had debated whether I wanted to do this or not, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad that we're bringing this back because it's important to know the story so that we can find these things. So restoration, that's the recreation of all things, bringing all of creation back completely under the authority, the grace and mercy of God. And so that was what we talked about two weeks ago. Then last week we had uh, Chris again told us about formation. So over the next couple weeks, Chris talked about formation last week. How can we take the truth of this story and be formed by it? What does that mean to be a community formed by the true story? And so we actually go back and look how formation is found throughout the entire story. And so today, as we're learning how we're formed, we're not formed individually, but the true story shares that we're formed in community. And so that's what we'll be looking at today. And then Anthony actually got my favorite one. So then sneak preview next week, we'll be talking about mission, which I absolutely love that one. But we're also, in all of these things, gonna be looking at that in light of the true story. And so the other thing, so Chris shared with us formation last week. He also introduced us to the text that we're going to be rooting ourselves in over the next couple weeks. So that's Acts 2, 42 through 47. I think we should be able to pull it up on the screen. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, read this. If you guys have a Bible, have your phone, you can go ahead and open up and follow along with me. So Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I thank you for the beautiful picture that you give us, not just in this text, but throughout the entire story. God, the love that you continually show us and how you open our eyes to the truth of your word. Lord, how you show us how we are to be formed. God, how we are to be, how we were made in your likeness in the beginning by your hands. And how even as sin broke that apart, God, you've continued to pursue us and continued to form us, not just individually, but in community. And Father, I love that in our scripture, in this passage and all of scripture, we can see your desire for community. So Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would open our eyes to that. Lord, that as I speak, it would be your truth that comes out. Father, that my words would honor you and would draw our hearts to a deeper 
love for who you are, who you've formed us to be, and how you're calling us to be in community with one another and with the world. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you and we trust that we will hear from you in powerful ways today. Amen. So this uh, is a little bit different teaching out of this text than what we usually do here. If you're familiar with uh, how we teach at Missio, usually we pick um, one book of the Bible and then we go through it week by week, expanding everything in that book. What we've chosen to do this month is a little bit different. And so we've actually gone a little bit wider with a macro view and taking the whole true story. And then we're trying to look at elements within it. And we picked this text um, because we just find all of these elements that are within the whole story, particularly formation, community, and mission, all interwoven. And so we are gonna come back to that text and I wanted to give us that as our foundation but to really understand the fullness of that passage, we really have to zoom back out again and look at the entire story and start to see what community is, what God's heart for community is, how do we fit into that, and what are our roles and responsibilities in that. And the cool thing is, as we take a look at this true story, we're able to see these elements interwoven throughout the entire story. So luckily for me, this clock up here is broken, so you guys will have no idea how long I'm going to take. So we can keep going. I promise we will get out of here before that clock says 845. How about that? <laughs> no, honestly, as we go through today, there's going to be, there's gonna be so much that's going to be left out of what we could say about community, what the Bible has to do. I was thinking and reflecting on this, and we could spend weeks just in the first part in creation and talking about community, which I promise we won't do that. So as we go through and as you start to pick out things like, hey, you know, I would really would have loved to hear more about this, or why didn't that come up? What I'm, my challenge for you guys is hold on to that. Bring those things up. When you guys are at home with your family, start to discuss that. Start to pick out those elements of community, what we talk about today and those other things that you find throughout the word. And not only that in your family, but do that in your missional community too. Start to look at how are we being formed as a community? What does that mean for us and how are we being sent out on mission? So that's what I'm gonna task you guys with. Find all the things that I missed today that should be pretty easy and then bring them up throughout the week with your family, with your MC. All right, so now we're gonna, we were in Acts, now we're gonna bring it all the way back to Genesis 1-1. And so with this lens of community, we're gonna read this, and I want you to start to see something really cool. So we'll start Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So you guys might be wondering, when we're talking about community, why did I bring up this passage? Maybe some of you guys know, but let's start to talk about it, because I think this is where we actually, in creation, get to see the first element of community, and it's right here in the very beginning. Now, you see, we're in a unique place in the story where we can actually look back through 
the lens not only of creation but of promise and of redemption and we have a fuller understanding of who God is. And so the beauty, when we look at this picture, we get to see something that the first hearers and the first readers probably wouldn't have discerned in this. But we see, we talk about God. God created the heavens and the earth. But then we get down another verse and we see, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So now we have God creating the heavens and the earth. And now we have his spirit hovering over the waters. And then the really unique thing is down in verse three, it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, that seems pretty inconspicuous, but again, if we take it through our place in the story and we take a look at the Gospel of John, how did John describe Jesus in the very first part? Can anybody tell me what that says, the opening of John? Yeah, exactly. And who was who is John referring to as the word? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. And then if you follow that passage a little bit further, it says all things were brought into creation through the word and nothing was made apart from the word. And so when we see that God said let there be light, he used the word. He actually spoke into creation. And so in this we get our first glimpse of community and we see God, the Father. We see God, the Spirit, hovering over the water. And we see God, the Son, Jesus, the Word, being spoken out from the Father and all of creation being brought into place. And it's important that we see it this way because this is our, our perfect view of community is God the Trinity, three in one, three persons that are in perfect community together, brought by love. And the cool thing is, that is where we start to see our identity is how we're brought into community. And we're gonna come back to this picture because this is actually a picture that we get later on in the scripture as well. But as we follow through in Genesis, God creates everything. The three persons of the Trinity there community, creating, all of creation, and then he creates humanity. And so as he's creating all of these things, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. What's the first thing that God says, it is not good? Can you guys tell me? It is not good for the man to be alone. You see, God created us for community with him, but just as he is a community within himself, he created us to be in his image as community. And so did he create, when he created, did he create one man and then another man just like him? The answer is no. No, he did not. <laughs> no, he created woman, right? Which, again, in some ways is very similar to man and in very many ways is very different. And so we start to get this picture of community. Not only is God a community in similarity, but with differing roles within his community, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, but now he's created humanity in community with similarity, but yet diversity. And that's starting to give us what a picture of true community is. It's a unity of diverse beings. And so... We see that in creation, we get, start to get this full 
picture of what community is. And not only that, when he created humanity in his image, created this community in his image, he gave them a purpose. What was their purpose? It was to care for the, for the creation, to see its flourishing, to bring out the hidden potential that God had placed in it so he could partner. As he's in community with humanity, the human community can continue to reflect his image by creating and bringing forth the truth that he had placed in creation, the hidden potential. And so already here in creation, we're starting to get this beautiful picture of what community is, Human community is one, we are created to be in community with God. Two, we're created to be in community with one another. And three, we're created to be in community with creation in the sense that we're in community for creation. We were there to be its stewards, to be its caregivers in community. Unfortunately, as we just saw when we went through the true story, there was a rebellion. Humanity turned away from that image. And the crazy thing is we can see systematically in Genesis how all of these things were broken down. So I don't, uh, I don't have it up here, but I just, I wanted to read this for you. This is, we, we see humanity first coming under the authority, putting themselves under the authority of creation, like Chris said, as the serpent deceived Eve and they turned away from God and trusted the serpent, but trusted in themselves. And as soon as they rebelled against God, this is what scripture says in uh, Genesis 3, 7. It says, then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so one thing I forgot to mention earlier is after creation, the, man, the last thing that it says right before scripture introduces the serpent is it says the man and the woman were naked and they were unashamed. And that's important when we get down to this part because what does it say? The first thing that happens when they rebel is their eyes are opened they realize that they're naked and they feel ashamed. All of a sudden, that human community now is fractured by sin, where before they were in perfect community together without shame, now there's been a wedge driven between humanity and they are forced to cover themselves to build barriers between one another. And then the next line, what does it say? They heard God walking in the garden where before they had run to God, they enjoyed walking through him, with him through the garden, being taught and formed by him. Now they're forced to hide because community with God has been broken. And then as things unfold, we find out that not only has this community between the humans been disrupted, and not only has the community been between God has been disrupted. Now we find that this beautiful garden that was full of hidden potential for the man and the woman to create from and to open up, now it will be filled with thorns and thistles that they will toil and work and strive and produce very little for their efforts. Now their community, even with creation, 
has been distorted. And so in the rebellion, we see the breakdown of all of community. But the beauty is God won't let them stay there. Even in that, even in the rebellion, um, as Adrian mentioned, God gives us this promise of a rescuer. He says that from the community, the man and the woman will come a seed of the woman that will be the rescuer and that will disrupt what sin has created, this division. And so even in that, we get this beautiful picture of God's redemption of community, his promise of redemption of community. And then the promise keeps going and it's really like building a lot of energy. You meet this guy, Abraham, and he's promised all of these kids, but he's literally no kids, can't have kids. And they're wondering, what is this gonna look like? But God is faithful and they have a son. And you just, you follow this story of this family who is created to be a community together. And these are where the promise rescuer. And so you're starting to get a lot of hope, like building up a lot of um, steam. You've read through Genesis, pretty exciting. You get to Exodus, all kinds of crazy things are happening. And then if I don't, if you're like me, then you turn and you get to Leviticus and it's just like, boo, all the energy drops off. And like, I'm not joking. Like you hear most people that plan on reading through the Bible for a year, they make it to Leviticus and then they can't go any further. Because what you get in Leviticus is much different. on the surface than what we have in the first two chapters because we're, we're getting this story and then all of a sudden it's just law after law after law and we don't really understand it, especially in the place where we are today. Many of these laws are very confusing, don't make a lot of sense. And in some ways when we try to take Leviticus and pass it through the lens of our current culture, they start to seem almost antithetical to what we know of the gospel. Um, and so when in, in my school, in my seminary, I had a professor one time that came in and said, you know, Leviticus is probably my favorite book in the Bible. And so my ears, like all of a sudden, they like peek up because I'm like, I've never heard anybody in my entire life say Leviticus is their favorite book. But he starts to explain it. He said, I, I'll have to tell you, like you have to, like, like he had done, study a lot of what Near Eastern culture of that day was and how all of them had their own law books. And he said, when you start to look at Leviticus in that way, it's mind-blowing how different it is in a subtle way. So if you read it on the surface, it's just a book full of laws. But as you start to look at how God has woven in these laws, to intentionally form a community that is first and foremost created for him and made for the worship and glory of him and to fall under his love and mercy and protection. And then the second set of laws are how does this community live together, one another? How are they forming one another in that identity of God? And how are they caring for each other in a way that is so abnormal to how humans typically behave in this fallen world? And then third, and this is the really unique thing, is there are so many laws about the care of creation. Like we have these laws of how to care for the land, how to restore it, all of these different things that are built in. How do you care for your livestock? 
and you start to see that these laws are actually what God gives to a people that can be shaped in community for him, that can be a contrast community to the brokenness and the sin of the world. And people are starting to be shaped in this beauty. So now, when you start to read Leviticus like that, it, it's still a little dry, but it, it's way better. It, it starts to really push you towards the story, and you start to see God's heart for community, not only for us to be in community one another, but us for to be in community with him and for us to treat God in such a way, for us to treat each other in such a way, for us to treat the creation in such a way that it makes people turn and say, what is different about them? We contrast what so starkly what is going on in the world that people are forced to look at you and say, what is different about them? And the great thing is when they're forced to look at you, when you're living in community with God as his image bearer, then as they're forced to look at you, they're forced to look at God and accept and understand that he is the fullness of community. He's the one that is actually shaping you to be so much different than the world. So that, I, I, and I mean, it continues to go on through the promise. You can see time after time, of the beauty of community. But you also continue to get the increeping of sin and rebellion. Like it would be beautiful to say that the Israelites followed everything to the letter of the law. And actually, sadly, the people that tried that were some of the most divisive in community. But what you get is a picture of people failing time and time again to be able to live into that community with God, to be able to live in that community with one another, to be failing to live into the community with the creation, failing to care for it, and failing to bring forth God's image from it, from each other. Um, and so you see this continual breakdown to the point where God's contrast community, Israel, that he created from Abraham and Sarah, has now split apart, and they're two different nations that are often warring with each other. And then, even in that, they're consumed by the other nations around them because they've fallen into worship of other gods. They've turned against one another, and they've turned against the creation, failing to live out the mandate that God gave them to bring forth beauty from it. And so, at this point, we're left with this really bleak picture of community. You know, we see the first community of humans fail. We see community continue to get into a darker and darker place. But God has still promised to bring this rescuer that is going to redeem all things, including community. And that's the beauty for us in this part of the story is that we get to see Jesus entering in from that community of Israel, entering into humanity, born into that community to be able to be the redeemer of that community. And so, um, now I want to flip to, uh, to, let's see, let me get there. We're going to go to Matthew, and it should have this on the screen also. Yeah, right here, Matthew uh, 3.16. So, 
I want you to pay attention to this and have what we've talked about so far in community in mind, especially this picture of creation in mind. So this is shortly after Jesus begins his earthly ministry. Um, He's grown and been formed in community in Israel. And now he's just coming to John the Baptist for himself to be baptized. This is the commissioning, the beginning of his ministry. And this is what we see in uh, Matthew 3, 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so here we get this picture again of Father, Son, and Spirit sharing the same space in perfect community with one another. We have the Spirit hovering over the water again. This is intentional. It's calling us to look back at the very beginning of creation and saying this is the beginning of the redemption of creation. But the cool thing is where before it was God, the Trinity, apart from creation, speaking life into creation, now we have one member, we have Jesus, who has fully aligned himself with the community of humans. He has taken on flesh to be one of us, to be in community with us, to be able to redeem community from humanity, bringing God and humanity back together completely. Um, So throughout the rest of Jesus's ministry, this is what we see him doing. We see him first bringing disciples together, 12 of them, which are called us to look at him forming the new Israel. That's what, that's what they're trying, this is the picture that they're creating is this is the new Israel. This is the new contrast community. And so Jesus lives in perfect relation with the Father and with the Spirit and he demonstrates that as he goes away and he sits with the Father as he tells time and time again, I cannot do anything apart from my Father's will. I've come to do what the Father tells me to do. And so he's showing them this is what it means to live in perfect community with the Father. And he's forming this new community of disciples to be in oneness with him. He even says that. He says, I desire for you. And he prays to God, please make them one as you and I are one. That's what Jesus, like this is Jesus's heart for community, not only for community with God, but for community with humanity. But there's one more element to his ministry, right? The miracles, it's what people so often go to in the Bible. But what Jesus is showing there is not only is he in perfect community with God, he is part of that community and he's in community with humanity. But now he's reversing effects of sin on the creation. He's reversing death. He's reversing blindness, deafness, all of those things. He's reversing the curse on creation and he's bringing back the mandate. He's calming the waters and showing 
what it truly means to be in a community as you bring forth beauty from the creation as it was always meant to be. And so that's the beauty of redemption, as the beauty of Jesus. And then in his death, he goes back and he's united completely with the Father and he's resurrected, completely refuting the effects of sin, restoring what was broken, not only between the community with humanity, between one another, but the community of humans with God. I think it was so beautiful the other day. Um, we, it was actually, it was after we talked about the true story, and I was talking with my kids, and, you know, it must have been, Anthony must have been on fire, because they actually, like, paid attention. I can't get them to do that for me, but Anthony brought them in, and they were actually, they could remember and tell me all of the, the different parts of the story. And then I said, do you guys see what Jesus has done here? And we're talking about the, the veil being torn in the temple, and they said, oh my gosh, like the lights come on. They're like, so just like when God tore the veil in the temple between the rest of the temple and the Holy of Holies, that veil was to say, you can't go into the presence of God. And now they ripped that veil. He's, they were like, that, it's, that was what the restoration was. That was what redemption was. That was Jesus. He tore the veil between heaven and earth, and so the kingdom is entering back in. And I'm like, oh my gosh, man, what was Anthony teaching these kids? He's like on fire. But it was beautiful. It's this beautiful picture, and I'm like, I wish that so often I could have just that like excitement of my kids as they start to see this redemption and the restoration of community. And so... Those are, those are the things that are setting us up to now come back to, uh, to the passage we started with. And I'll read that one more time so you guys can read along with me. So again, it's Acts 2, and we're 42 through 47. And so this time, as we read through this, I want you to start to look, what are those elements of community? What are those elements of the restoration between God and humans? What are the restoration of community between one another? And what's the restoration of the human community now again in a right relationship with creation? So let's read through this. And then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, so I had to admit when I first like came to this passage, I could, I could pretty clearly see this restored community 
between God. We have the apostles who were the disciples who had lived in community with Jesus. And now they're bringing that message empowered by the Spirit. I think that's the thing that you have to remember in this passage is that this is after Pentecost. This is after the Spirit has now come to indwell the believers. And so as the apostles are teaching, it's not just human teaching, but they're actually being empowered by the Spirit of God to bring his word to the people to form this community. And so we see God being perfectly present in community with the apostles and with the body of believers in this place. And you could almost say that it's really easy to see this community. And I mean, honestly, when you read through this, like for me, I, I've done this so many times in the past where I've read through this passage and I'm said, man, what is wrong with like me? What's wrong with my church? Because I don't see a lot of this. And so it's really easy to put them on a pedestal and say, man, they were getting it right. But I don't want you guys to go there for a couple of reasons. One, whenever we put people up on a pedestal, it's really easy to say, that's for them, they can do that, and it's not for me because I'm not like them. And it alleviates in our mind our responsibility to live out the way that God has called us to do. So I don't want you to do that. Second, I don't want you to put them on a pedestal because I don't want you to idolize this community as somehow they were doing everything right. If we go back after Acts and we start to look through some of the epistles, we get a clear picture that all was not well. Sin was still affecting their communities. They were still broken all the way up into the present day. We are a church that is empowered by the Spirit, that has God in community with us, but also is still in this already but not yet time where the kingdom is reversing the effects of sin, but we are still sinful human beings forced to continually go back to our Savior, to our Redeemer. And so keep that in mind as we're reading that. But you start to see this complete oneness. I mean, that's what they say, right? They were together and had all things in common. And this is the crazy part. This is the thing that I, I don't see in us. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so you could say, well, like, is that what we're, like, should we all sell our houses? Or are we all supposed to sell everything we own and move out to the desert? No, like that's not necessarily. But what, what they're trying to say, and this is the cool thing, what, what's happening here is this reordering of their relationship with the creation and I honestly think that that is a very, very powerful message for us today because here in America, we live in a story that often tells us that we are in very many ways what our possessions are. We should be desiring to have a better house. We should be desiring to have better cars, better belongings, better clothes, live in a nicer neighborhood. And so we're... we're constantly immersed in that story whenever we turn on the TV, whenever we turn on the radio, we're told about those things. And so 
I would say, am I telling you guys today, sell everything you own, give it to the poor, move into my house? Like, no, let's not go that far. But let's figure out where are these places where we have a disordered attachment to our belongings? Where are we not in the correct order with creation? Because we're not meant to be ruled by creation. We're meant to be stewards of creation to see it flourish. God desires for us to bring that beauty out of creation, but not for it to rule over us and not for us to be shaped in idolatrous ways by the things that we own. And so here we get that glimpse. And so then that's the beauty is day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They had all things in common. And I think you know, Crystal and I were having a talk about this, and sometimes, kind of like Matt said, it's really easy to get down on ourselves. You know, our missional communities aren't always living in perfect harmony together. We're not always, we're not sharing all of our rhythms of life and the things that we may think, you know, there are so many ways that we could pick out those things, but as I look around and I see our church, there's so many things that we're doing right where we even have the desire to live in community together. We have the desire to say, rather than just getting together once a week, we want to be intentionally invested in each other's lives and we want to be shaping each other as we're shaping the world around us. Living in community, not just for ourselves, but for God, empowered by Him to live in community with the creation, to see its flourishing. And so that's the cool thing is we have MCs like Cultivate and Copperwood and all these MCs that are intentionally investing into what's going around and going, going in, on in the community and being a gospel presence to see those areas flourish and turn back to God. And so that's the beauty of the picture that we get of where we are currently in the story as the church. And that's the invitation that Jesus has for us, every one of us, is to enter into community that way, to fully follow him and allow his spirit to indwell in us, to empower us, to be in community with one another and to be in community with the creation. And so the last, uh, the last place I'll go today is we actually get, in Scripture, we get a picture of what this will look like ultimately. Um, so if you want, you should have the last uh, slide. We can go there now. So in Revelation 21 through 2, we get to see how the story ends. And that's why I say we're in such a unique place in this story in so many ways because not only can we look back all the way to creation, and we can filter it through the lens of Christ and see what that meant, not only for us to be formed, but us to be formed as a community. But in God's grace, he's also given us a picture of ultimate restoration. And so as we look at this, we get to see what the beauty of ultimate community is. And so if we pick up there in verse two, so this is John and this is John and he's being given this revelation of what ultimate restoration will be. And this is what he says. He says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so, so often people have, uh, have seen this passage as this idea of everything that's here and now, all of creation being wiped out and a new creation being put in place. But as we see, that's not the picture we're given. We're given this picture of Jerusalem, the holy city, God's city, now coming down to be with creation. And so we're getting to see this final fullness. What my, God, what my kids were talking about when they were talking about the veil being torn and now there being this space where the kingdom's starting to crash in and now there's starting to be this uniting of both the kingdom of God and creation that has been fractured by sin. This is what we get is the fullness of that picture, the beauty of God's holy city coming down of the veil being completely wiped away. There's no more barrier between creation and the kingdom of God. It has been fully reunited. And so now there's complete community with God. And we see that there's no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, because all of those former things have passed away. All of the effects of sin, where now Jesus has reversed them in part, we're seeing the restoration beginning as the kingdom is broken in, now we see the fullness of that completed. Um, not found in this passage, but what will tie us to, um, to what Anthony's gonna speak on in this point of mission is we get not only this picture of the kingdom restoration, but it talks about the people and what that will look like around the throne. And it says that every tribe, nation, and tongue, all of humans, all of humanity will be represented around God in his holy city. And so that's the beauty. That's what I'm really excited for to hear about next week is this idea of not only are we a community here at Missio, but we're part of a larger community as a body of believers throughout the earth. And so the idea of this is, we, as God's community, as a human community invited into community with God, we're allowed to take on now that impulse to be able to send, be sent out into creation in the world and see it all restored for his community. And so as we go out today, there's, there are a lot of things, and like I said, there was a lot left unsaid about community, but what we can know is that Jesus has come down through his death and resurrection. The effects of sin, the brokenness of community have begun to be reversed. And now we're invited in. And not only are we invited in to be a part of that community, but Jesus gave us his spirit to indwell in each and every one of us to be able to live in community with one another, focused on community with God. We actually get to have community with God in and of ourselves. And I think that that's something that we so oftentimes take for granted, at least I do. And so today, Missio, 
I want to remind you what Jesus did at the end of his life and time with his believers. And so as we go out to the table, we'll remember what it said in Acts, that they broke bread with one another. And so today, we're being invited by Jesus to go and to break bread, to be in communion with him as we take the bread representing his body that was broken for us, as we take the juice that is a representation of his blood that was spilled for us. He invites us to be in community with him, but he gives us that as a practice to do in community with with one another. That is why it is called communion. We're communing with God, but we're communing with one another. So let's go, just like our brothers and sisters in Acts, let's go to the table, let's break the bread, let's take the juice, and let's be in community with our Father in heaven and with one another.